listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. And with me today, we have Andrea Fort and... Michael Christopher Heron. How you doing? Uh, they're the team behind a new book on Comicsology called Songs of the Dead, which is about a neuromancer, necromancer, necromancer. who can like raise dead people, basically. Yeah. So welcome, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. The way that we usually start these is I sort of get an idea of like what your life was like and how you got into comics. So I guess I'll start with... Andrea. Andrea, how did you uh, get into comics and where did you grow up? What was your earlier life like? Sure. Well, I'm I'm a Toronto girl, born and bred, and I've been reading comics since I was about seven years old. And I've been a a diehard fan ever since. And uh, I have a story. I have the story of my first comic book, if you want the story. Yeah, give me the story. It's not that epic, but I was seven or eight and i was walking around the neighborhood with my dad right around the corner from my house and there was this yard sale you know as you do when you're a kid with your dad you sort of patiently wander around while he looks at stuff and talks to the neighbors and i remember seeing these two comic books sitting on the lawn and i ran up to my dad i don't know what it was about these books because i'd seen comics before but i had never had the the inclination to pick one up how old were you like seven or eight years old yeah really young and they were sitting there and I, I wanted these books and they were like, I don't know, like 25 cents each or something ridiculous like that, you know, secondhand and a little beat up. And I ran to my dad and I was like, dad, can I please have change to buy these books? My dad goes, well, I don't have anything because we were just out like playing baseball or something at the park. Right. He says to me, go home and ask your mom. I'll wait here. And literally we were like, you could see our front door. So I remember just sprinting full tilt, running into the house and my mom saying to me. Uh, I, I run up to her and I ask her for this change. And she goes, trying to teach me the value of money, right? She goes, well, you can have enough change for one. So I go back and I give the guy the change and I've picked the book I want. And he looks at me and goes, take both of them. So my mom's lesson is right out the window. But it didn't really matter because it didn't really stick. I was a the first it was what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? It's this like super dark age, super violent comic that I don't think anybody other than me has read. Wow. But I love it to bits. I remember my parents being so scandalized when they walked into the living room and saw the book. Do you remember what the other one was? It was a Captain America book. It had this bright yellow cover. It would have been from like 1991 or 92, something like that. I don't remember the exact title, but it was, yeah, it was Cap. That's awesome. Didn't appeal to me the same way. I had it. I read it once, but the Wolverine was the one that stuck. I've been a Wolverine fangirl ever since. Like, I think really somebody should bring back What If. It was like the best Marvel, like Elseworld series that they did. I had What If J. Jonah Jameson adopted Spider-Man. I I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wish that they would bring What If back for sure. There was a rumor, wasn't there, that they were going to do it? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. I remember that, yeah. So, Mike, what is your story? How did you get into comics? Uh, My story is a little more all over the place. Okay. I've been writing anything I can since I was about three years old. My mother likes to famously tell stories about how I wrote my first book at four years old, uh, which I think she still has to this day. Probably. But for me, it's been about um, exploring all sorts of different ways to be creative. And comics was one of the things I found very early on, as many of us did. I tried my hand at creating my own comics uh, as as artist and writer when I was very, very young. And sure enough, my enthusiasm was enough to sort of uh, sway other kids that I met who were a little bit artistic to sort of like join me in creating these anthologies of comics about these heroes that we came up with off the top of our heads. That actually grew into... Uh, That followed me throughout high school. I met new friends. You know, we followed the same ideas of creating more comics. And really from there, it sort of evolved. Uh, We briefly did some animation together, uh, still featuring these same characters. You know, I started working in film, really anything that I could do to tell stories. And uh, with Songs for the Dead, it's really me, in a way, returning to form. 
uh, returning to sort of the first genre that I really started to play around with as a creator. Uh, so that was a big revelation for me when we started doing this, actually. Wow. So you were like an editor and publisher from like a really early age. I was. I was. I don't know if I was any good, but... Uh, <laughs> But I was definitely doing all the jobs. And did you put out these anthologies all the way through like elementary school and high school and those things? I did. Um, I especially I remember towards the end of elementary school, I had kids in my class who were just excited to see the next page that I drew because, you know, they they had their own personal investment because they'd give me ideas. They'd be like, put in a guy who does this and I do it. So they had, you know, now they had their character in there. Uh, so they were just so excited to see how the story would turn out and turn out. Um, and yeah, that ended up following me. And your whole group of friends would like contribute a story to the to They the did. Thing. They did. They were all super enthused about it. They loved the idea of helping me write it, coming up with characters. And, you know, at that age, you know, any idea was awesome. Basically, you know, a guy who shoots explosions. Why not? That's awesome. So then when it got into animation, how did you translate like what was happening in the anthology? Uh, what was it called, by the way? Uh, so the anthology was called Strike Force. Okay. Great name. <laughs> right. A friend of mine uh, who I met in in, uh, in high school, his name's Chris. Great artist, just in general. Shout out to Chris. Uh, shout general. out to Chris. Shout He's out to Chris. Nice. Brilliant artist. He took a really big interest in animation very early on because I went to an art school. I went to Don Mills Collegiate. Okay. So we had a lot of access to a lot of tools. Chris really got into flash animating, basically whatever he could get his hands on. So it was really him who came to me who was like, you know... I love writing this comic. This comic is great. We love these characters. What if we made it an animation? And this was around like 99, 2000. And, and for anyone who remembers back then, the web was sort of like littered with all these little tiny flash cartoons, right? Right. Because South Park was big, right? South Park was big at the time. Yeah. yeah South Park kind of showed people that you can do cheap animation. As long as you can find an audience, people will watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that became our goal for, I would say, almost my entire high school life. Just him and I couple of other kids who would just relentlessly work on this idea, churn out a few animations here and there, show people and uh, and get their reactions. What was the story like of the animation? Like, what one did you select and what was it about? The, uh, so it basically it was it was a very, you know, kid story. Uh, it was a group of heroes, like four or five of them. For some reason, I remember in like the early iterations of it, they were always in caves. I don't know why they <laughs> never cities, never outdoors. They just always were in caves. Um, but they were this group of, of heroes. Some of them had like superpowers. Some of them had like cool technology that they used. Eventually, by the time it hit the animation stage, we had refined the idea to the point that, you know, they were actually protecting a city. We established a bunch of villains that we thought were really cool. You know, we set up, we, we had written this like 60 to 70 page story for our first quote episode. That's awesome. We set our sights pretty high, which, you know, for a couple of high school kids was a lot of work, uh, which we found out eventually. But uh, yeah, we, we spent a lot of that time refining the idea and finding ways that it was practical to animate it, but also would would still appeal to people. Cool. Did you, and you finished it and put it out? We finished a couple of key scenes. Um, I think our biggest achievement with that, there was a school film festival happening. Okay. Um, and we had just completed a sort of trailer for our, for our animation. Um, and we submitted it. And the fun thing about that is that we had submitted it uh, sort of unofficially, like just as uh, just because we happen to know the coordinators of the festival. So the feedback that we got from people after they had seen the festival was that they had actually thought they were seeing a trailer for an actual animated film. Wow. They thought, you know, well, it's not on the list and it doesn't look student. So, wow, that, you know, what is this movie? How can I see it? That's awesome. It was pretty good. So can I see this trailer? Is it available in like the nether regions of the web right uh, now? I'm sure it's still in the nether regions somewhere. If you if you go down a few <laughs> few subdomains. Actually it's one of, it's on my to-do list to sort of like get those flash files and sort of convert them to, to YouTube just so people can have a look at them. Cause, uh, cause I mean, even today, like 16 years later, they're still, I think pretty impressive. Nice. Nice. And you mentioned that like songs of the dead, like that was sort of the first genre going all the way back to like your early comics in elementary school and high school. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on that? What appeals to you about the sort of fantasy 
I guess it's like a quest sort of thing. I mean, I've always been a huge fantasy guy. You know, that's something that Andrea and I are 100% on the same page. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a huge Tolkien fan. Yeah, her, her Tolkien knowledge schools mine and pretty much most of the populations. Do you guys play D&D? I do, actually. The same friend that I mentioned, the, the animator, um, even though he doesn't live in Toronto anymore, we get together on Skype and play D&D wow. every so it's often. It's crazy because I have a friend named Chris... Yeah. Who lives in my old apartment, who is the dungeon master for, for and is an animator also. Really? So yeah, my at guy's first the I dungeon thought, master at too. At first I thought it was that guy. Yeah, that's he, a lot of similarities Toronto, actually, then, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really weird. Yeah, no, he uh, he's a he's a huge DM. Like that's his passion. Whatever we're playing, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Exalted, Shadowrun. Oh yeah, they had like. Uh, what were we playing? You were just playing. You just finished a game. We were playing Numenera. Yeah, you were playing um, Numenera. That's right. Like he finds some really obscure sort of pen and paper RPGs, digs them up, just read consumes the rule book. It's like six of them on Skype. Wow. Yeah. So if you're, you know, you wake up. You go into the living room and there's Mike on the computer yep. and there's some manner of shouting and instruction. <laughs> yep. I was always a little jealous. I always kind of wanted to participate in those yeah. sessions, but you can't go in halfway through a game. That's not right. Yeah, I, I just started getting into D&D and I, yeah. I sort of, he he carved out sort of a guest star role. Nice. But then nice. I found out I had to, I couldn't continue. I had to stop until they were finished the campaign uh, and I, I, have, I have to renew in the new year because uh, people get very attached to like their yes. oh, yeah. their quests and their campaigns and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I had a really good campaign going and my uh my group sort of disbanded because my DM moved out of the city. I miss it so much. I'm looking for a new group to play with, but I don't know where I'd find the time. But yeah. I would it'd, be, totally, it'd be nice totally to find a local to group yeah. actually. Yeah. Well we've we've probably got some people we can I'm, yeah, I'm sure we cool. do. Cool. So like how did you guys meet? How did you come together? Oh, uh, well, we met in in the very murky waters of online dating, yeah. believe it or not. Okay. Just uh, after so many shots in the dark, as online dating tends to be. We both uh, have stories about that, but that's for another day, I yeah. think. Um, yeah, we, we met each other. We hit it off. You know, we had just about everything in common. Oh, my God. From, like, the first 10 minutes of the first date. Just, it was awkward, but we still had everything in common. Yeah, nice. just everything. Um, yeah. So, you know, we had... Uh, because we be, we're going to be together two years uh, in a couple of months. Yep. So, uh, you know, the first year was just us living it up, enjoying each other's company. You know, as relationships go. Uh, and then around this time last year, it was, you know, this idea came to us. And it was like, what do you think about doing a comic book? Because we're both creative people. We were we had already sort of off and on talked about having a project we could do together. Yeah, we had discussed a couple of... Uh, short films we might want to do. We had discussed working on some scripts together. And Mike came to me with an idea and said, well, I have this idea, but I think it translates better to a comic. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So, Andrea, after you got your, you know, your first comic and had your, like, first comic experience, how did you sort of develop your your artistry and and that sort of Um, thing? So, as Mike talked about being a creator from a really young age, I kind of have a similar story. Like, my favorite toy as a three-year-old was the typewriter in the basement. And I would just sit for hours. My mom has these makeshift books that I would write and draw. I used to record stories on cassette. I always just fascinated with narrative and wanted to tell stories. I mean, I devoured comics from the age of like seven, eight years old on. I was just reading ferociously and not just comics, but novels. And I've been writing for magazines and for for blogs as as a comic critic um, for a little while. Uh, And I had a creative, like I had stories to tell, but I was always sort of scared to tell them. I never really, as an adult, never really put my fiction out there, just things I would write for myself, I guess, as catharsis. And Mike really encouraged me. Mike said, let's take on this project. And working together has made it a lot easier. Uh, It's the first time that that sort of element of my work has been out in the public, uh, which has been really terrifying. I won't lie. It's been horrifying, but it's it's been really rewarding and really great. Okay, so let's talk about the idea. Hmm. For people that have, haven't read Songs of the Dead... How would you sum it up? Songs for the Dead, for the most part, I mean, I like to call it a story about acceptance. 
because that's really yeah, what it's it is. Yeah, it's a redemption story. It's a redemption of. story in a lot of ways. You know, fantasy, as, as you mentioned, the story surrounds a, a young necromancer named Bethany. Bethany is on a journey across uh, a land that she's unfamiliar with, and her mission is essentially to be a hero. The reason being that uh, necromancers, as in most stories, tend to have a pretty seedy reputation. They're known for being no goodniks. They're known for being, you know, power hungry. And Bethany isn't. Bethany is is someone who loves life, who loves uh, life surrounding her. And she wants to show people that there's more to being a necromancer than just, you know, doom and gloom. But the story's not all Disney princess. We've got LSR in there. Mm-hmm. We've got some other characters who provide good foils for Bethany. Because as much as I love Bethany as a character and her unwavering optimism, the story has a good healthy dose of reality too, I think. Cool. So where did the idea come from? Like, who brought what to the table? The idea originally spawned with me um, a couple of years ago, I would say. Um, I was working on this other creative project, and I was playing a lot of fantasy games at at the time. I was playing a a lot of Skyrim, a lot of of, uh, Dragon Age, you know, and I saw these sort of common tropes when it came to necromancers. And just from sort of seeing how they're always portrayed and how, you know, they're typically the villain, they're typically some outcast in the story. I This idea sort of developed in me to create a necromancer who was the most unassuming looking person, you know, not somebody with like a gaunt skeletal face and who's eight feet tall, but, you know, a little short mousy girl who you would never think could do any harm. And something about that juxtaposition really appealed to me. And from that, you know, I built this world around her. And while this was a couple of years ago, I realized it had to be a fantasy story, obviously. Um, And at the time I was a filmmaker, so I thought to myself, well, this is a great idea, but it's not realistic for me to make this right now because, you know, trying to do a big epic fantasy on an indie filmmaker's budget is pretty unrealistic. So I just sat on it for a while. And then not until about two years later, when Andrew and I were looking for a project to work on together, I found the Bethany idea again, I started sort of fleshing it out some more, started to see that it had some potential. And I ran it by Andrea, who said, I would love to be involved in this. I remember we had gone out for a walk one evening and it ended up being, I think, like a three-hour walk around the neighborhood and then some. And Mike ran the idea by me. And I think the conversation went from, yeah, let's do it, to just carving out the world and, and finding the intricacies, talking about everything from like the lore and, you know, there's like, there's a god king in there and how he operates and the different factions. It was really intense. Cool. So like, I mean, he had the idea and stuff, but it sounds like you came up with a lot of the details and a lot of the stuff that fleshes the world out a little bit, a little bit more. I think we kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to take credit for creating the ideas. I think what we did was Mike came to me with a genesis of an idea, like a really big picture. And together, we really narrowed it down and focused it to something that was a story that you could tell and that was printable. So really what my role was wasn't in really creating the characters or creating the world, but more so in making it something that was presentable for lack of a better word bite-sized so you were focusing his ideas into something that was actually marketable and some something that people would read it was a huge idea right he had like this big grandiose thing he had this one character but everything else i remember your scope was so broad it was huge yeah huge and uh mike initially said to me the first thing he said was well it would be an ongoing series and i was like whoa whoa there let's just talk about if we get to make one book we're super lucky if we get to make two Lightning has struck us. It's such a privilege. So we've had to like, we we went from like, we'll go for 50 books to we'll go for 10 to, okay, let's start with four. <laughs> so Mike is a big idea guy. And I think sadly, I've brought a little bit of realism to his idea, but it's made us able to. Well, without the realism, idea. it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. It's, it's and you guys is. are a good team. Like yeah. you always need sort of the opposite, like the big idea person and the, the more practical person. Like that's part of the partnership. I'm the I'm the wet blanket in the corner that nobody likes <laughs> in this relationship. Well, in this creative relationship. <laughs> wow. I can neither confirm nor deny that. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to keep himself out of trouble. No, I, I he needed a bit more realism. And then as we started writing, I got to be a bit more creative and I got to engage in um, my speciality. I think in this book was really finding uh, LSR's voice, who's another character in the book. As Mike was writing her, there'd be so many days where I'd, there'd be a draft of the script and I'd take a look at it 
And the first thing I do is look at him and say, Mike, she'd never say this. What is this? I wanted to ask you, because first of all, it's a it's a female protagonist, which is still kind of rare. Yeah, still a big deal for some reason. Still a big deal. So she kicks butt. Writing a female protagonist and coming up with a female protagonist as part of the sort of perception of what a necromancer is supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. that works with the thing that you're trying to flip, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what is it like writing a female as a guy, mm-hmm. but then also having uh, your partner Andrea check you in terms of what would be real in terms of what a female would actually say? I mean, I feel that I I have a very lucky, unique perspective in this case. My family is essentially all women. Um, women. I I grew up with a single mom, her two sisters, uh, all of my mother's friends are all female. Um, And that was my upbringing. Uh, You know, my mom wasn't a big dater. She wasn't, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a dad in the picture. My grandfather was, you know, he was he was a nice guy. But no, for the most part, like the people who influenced me the most growing up were all women. And more to the point, they were very strong women. You know, there were a lot of women who don't take crap. They were women who have very strong opinions about a lot of things. I just want to point out, you said don't, as in past tense. Like you said, they, they don't, they currently still they don't, still take, don't crap. take crap. No, no one, they, none of these women. They like, have hardened over His mother the will look at me and just, you know, I know in a, like the second we meet eyes, she's not having any of my shit. Wow. They, yeah. So meeting his parents must have been a little bit of pressure or meeting his family. Yeah. Meeting Mike's family was a, well, there, yeah, there's, there's, an interesting, there's that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. That's actually a pretty epic story. Um, uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, so they're I f- amazing people, but they do not take crap. I feel like I have a lot of uh, privilege in that sense. Um, so when it comes to writing women, uh, because in the past, like as a creator in general, I tend to use a lot of female characters, um, not just for reasons of underrepresentation, which is valid, mm. but because I think there's some amazing stories there. I've seen and heard. A lot of stories about people like me, you know, just your average white straight male. And they're great stories. But I think, like, from from a creator's perspective, I can envision so much more. I can envision telling these different stories with different people. And each one is equally as compelling. Yeah, to Mike's credit, there's not a lot of time when we talk about story or the writing. And I have to check him on the female voice. He has this empathy that enables him to channel the character and really write it fairly well. I mean, there's been very few times where where I've had to say, you know, this, this isn't feminine or this isn't a, a woman's approach. And not that Mike is overly feminine in any way, shape or form, actually. It's the opposite. If, if he's, anything, but, he, he, but he's able to empathize. I think. If anything, Andrew has corrected me on characters not being hard enough. Yes, um, I am the hard ass. I am the one who's like, why didn't she just stab him? Yeah, this why? is this is a character who doesn't take shit. Why is she taking shit in this scene? Yeah, do not let her do that. Yeah, right. fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Right, right. Just uh, checking you on the expectations that you've set for your own universe. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Andrea has, you know, I mean, she sells herself short in terms of her creative contributions to this because. You know, granted, the idea's inception was mine. I did a lot of the world building. But the thing is, is that Andrea has grasped onto the perspective of our book and our characters and has pointed out things to me. You know, that even characters that I've created, she'll look at something and say, that doesn't feel right for this character. And I take another look at it and it's like, you're right. What would you suggest? I think my role really here, I am a, I'm technically a co-writer. Some of the writing is you mine, are a co-writer. But, but I'm very much a, a very active editor in this book. That's awesome. Super active editor. Up to the minute, looking over his shoulder, what are you doing? Don't do that, editor. And as, and as a writer myself, I can tell you that it's awesome to have your own in-house editor yes. before you have to hand it to an actual editor. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if, if everybody in indie comics could have an editor like Andrea, it'd be it'd be a dream they for those writers. They'd be so unhappy. But they would have such they, great work. Yes. Great work just, would they, come of it. Nobody wants me lurking over them all the time. You're just stuck with it. So, Andrea, to have Mike in your life and, like, have his perspective and his upbringing and his wanting to, you know, do female characters first, basically, yeah. mm-hmm. was that refreshing for you? Like, what had you seen in your experience and um, how was Mike's approach different? It was really exciting because growing up reading Marvel and DC comics, the, the Cape comics, it's just a, a lot of a lot of guys in latex, 
not latex, spandex. That's the one. That's the <laughs> latex one. Latex are different Freudian comics. slip, everybody. Different um, comics. Different comics. Yeah. We should look into those comics. No, I'm kidding. Um, a lot of guys in uh, latex, you can't see my air quotes, in spandex. Growing up reading those, uh, you know, women were not always portrayed in the best light, or if at all. Uh, there were a lot of women who sort of throwaway characters. I mean, everyone knows everyone knows the scandal of, of the, the killing joke, which debatably, right. you know, uh, Barbara Gordon's role in that story. So after growing up and, and reading all of these kinds of stories, meeting someone who said, let's make a comic. And as we talked about the idea, it was focused very much on women and on characters that I could identify with very immediately. I mean, that was really exciting. And that's not to say that Mike doesn't have great male characters. We've talked about some ideas and I I see really fantastic male characters. And hopefully there's some that are going to emerge in our our book on the horizon as well. I know we've got plans throughout this this series to introduce some really cool male characters that I'm really excited to get to, actually. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about your plans later in oh, okay. the later, later in the interview. Spoilers. For sure. Sorry. <laughs> just you know, vaguely. We're not gonna give anything away, oh, of course. course. In terms of just your your relationship and working together, we've never had an actual couple who's worked on a comic before. Hmm. So how how is it working with someone who is your partner and knows you intimately and who you are and that sort of thing? Oh. What is the dynamic and how do your relationship dynamics come into your professional dynamics? I don't know if our answers are going to match on this one. Let's let Mike go first. <laughs> okay, I would go. I would go get it out of the way and say it's not always easy. Certainly not because you know you're dealing with somebody who has an intimate knowledge of you, as you said. Uh, but on top of that, somebody who who can get to you. I mean, that's kind of, if anybody knows how to push each other's buttons right here, we don't don't fight a lot, which is no, not at all. But you know, it's, it's the difference with say, you know, working with a a corporate editor who, you know, might say, change this, change this, change this, rest is fine, you know, versus someone who knows you intimately, who knows the work that you can do, who knows your creative mind and is like, this isn't your strongest, you know, this isn't as strong as you could be. I don't agree with this. You know, you get a lot of no's that don't come with whys when you're when you're working in a relationship. Um, That's a good way to put it. Thank you. Um, That's actually my specialty when I'm dealing with him. It is. Uh, sometimes he'll be like this and I'll be like, no, why? Because I say so. I don't want to have to explain it right now. Just no. Yeah, which, you know, when you're... Which is not you're, a good editor. When you're working fairness, in, a, but... in a creative ecosphere, it's difficult to just hear no and be like, but why? No. In it's my so... defense, here's the real challenge from my perspective in dealing with this. Okay. We started this project a year ago and my my day job, my hours are evenings, long shifts on weekends, a job where I'm very on, lots of customer service, lots of smiling and saying hi to people. And I love my job. Uh, But it is long and it's very taxing. And being in a relationship, living together, working those shifts, coming home and being an introvert and my brain going, okay, you can decompress now, walking through the front door. And Mike looks at me and goes, so what about this for the comic? You just want to scream. Right. Mm-hmm. You want that time off. I want to sit and play Overwatch. I want to read a comic. I want to maybe pass out, you know, fall down, have a beer, not think. Like you're just always working and and your romantic relationship switches gears. So even on the date nights where we say we're not going to talk about work, mm-hmm. we always talk about work. We can't help it. Yeah, it's it's very different than say if if this comic was our actual job because, you know, you get up, you go to work, you work on the thing that you're doing, yeah. you go home, you decompress. You whereas there. we're doing something that of course is outside of our real jobs, uh, which means that for both of us, uh, for me recently, because I just started a ton of hours lately, it's a balancing act add to the fact that we work opposite schedules too so it means that you know when i have time to go home and work on this she's at work you know when she has time to work on this i'm at work that leads me to what the good part is is working with somebody that you're in a relationship with is that um you know you're always around each other it's very easy to keep each other on track to bounce things off of each other, to, to let each other's insecurities hang out, which, you know, is actually a good thing. Yeah. Because especially as new people to the business, you know, there was stuff that scared the shit out of us. Oh, yeah. So many elements. And, you know, rather than working with some faceless editor or faceless corporation, 
I have to put on a smile and be like, yeah, everything's great. This is great. Everything's fine. You know, we could have these moments of breaking down. You know, one oh, person yeah. breaks down and the other person's there to pick them up and be like, no, 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 it's fine. Things are still going fine. I think we're really lucky in that for all the similarities we have, our triggers are different. So what what's hard for me to face is not necessarily so difficult for Mike and vice versa. Yes. So there's always somebody who's ready and willing to be the backbone and the support at any given time, which has been really, truly amazing. Yes. I think we're really lucky going into this creative partnership together, even though we are a couple, because we have this unbelievable support. Yeah, and understanding each other so well, I think, has also been, because Mike talked about how we have so much in common, uh, so often we will look at something together, and and he sort of mentioned when I'm editing that I sort of go, this isn't your best work. That's the real reality of it, is that I know him so well, I really know what he's capable of, and vice versa. He knows what I'm capable of, and we will always push. Yeah, And we yeah. push hard. We yeah. push each other a lot. You're listening to Speech Bubble. We'll be right back. The Harry Tarantula sells games and comics to bright and imaginative people like you. Thus, we value your mind. Without it, you'd be stupid and we'd be out of business. So stop drinking diet sodas contaminated with aspartame and stop microwaving your brain with a cellular phone. And if that's too much to ask, then for God's sake, spare our kids from electrochemical lobotomization. Thanks for playing. Please come again. Harry Tarantula. Look us up if you know how. This freedom of speech moment paid for by the Harry Tarantula. 354 Young, upstairs. Online at H-A-I-R-Y-T.com. That's HarryT.com. You would make a lesser comic, potentially, yeah. if you didn't have each other to push each other so far. Yeah, and, and there's that risk, too, right? Like, you know, another couple might be too afraid to say to their partner, you know, that's not great. We, we're we not afraid of each other. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, there's lots of documented evidence for that. But, yeah, uh, yeah. but no, I mean, you know, there's certainly that risk, too, that, you know, it's your partner. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want them to go on and make your night more miserable because you said that their idea sucked. Um, In all fairness, we've never used those terms ever. Well, either, either. The sentiment is still there. Okay. <laughs> all right. Sentiment is there. Gary Laundry being aired. Right now, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Gotta give Aaron the juicy stuff. So oh, trouble, marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. I want a divorce. <laughs> anyway, um, I did want to ask, you mentioned that there was a lot of things that scared the shit out of you when oh, yes. you were doing, I guess, sort of the production part of this oh, book. Boy. What yep. were those things and what sort of challenges did you have as new people who'd never done this before? At risk of exaggerating, every step came with something terrifying, I yeah, would say. I don't think any part of it was easy. There was... Mike knew how to write, like starting from the beginning, the first thing we did was start scripting. Yeah. And Mike knew how to script for film. Yeah. Uh, and the second I looked at the original script, I looked at him and I was like, this is a film script. <laughs> this doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, this so is a storyboard. We had to this learn. Comic. We had to learn how to write for comics and not write storyboards. So that was like a growing experience we did together. Finding an artist was oh, finding hard. an artist in of itself. We're super lucky to have found uh, our artist is Sam Sam Samantha Beck. Yes, she's amazing. We are so lucky to have her. We but also, it was not easy to get there. We also. Um, you know, it was stressed to us by a lot of people that we spoke to, to really take care of the legalities yeah. of this process, um, which I think a lot of sort of young artists and, and young creators, you know, they don't deal with And I mean, I understand because it, it sucks. When your brain is creative or when you want to just make your thing, yeah. you don't want to talk to a lawyer about copyrights. We had to register our business name we yeah. had to well the number of times that get contracts yeah the number of times it felt like we had artists who were just dying to work with us it felt like we'd be like great we're so ready to work with you here's an eight-page contract that you have to read and sign uh and you know especially because a lot of the artists we were seeking out you know were were some who were new to the business, yeah, new to the business. so that sort of thing scares them and and sort of makes them like actually you know what i don't want to do this scared us too it scared us too but we had to be the bad guy. Like there were a lot of situations like that where our instincts were, we just want to do this. You know, yes. we just want to push through and do this. Yes. But then, you know, we would force ourselves to take a step back, look at things logically. Everything, everything down to the banking because it's the banking. under a company name. So we have like, a, we had to figure out banking in a separate account. We've got an accountant. Like 
we don't want to deal with. That's like adulting to the nth level, yes. right? Yeah. It's so hardcore. Yeah. Um, and I don't think either one of us thought of that when we set out on this. No. But by the time we got there, we were so far in. It was one of the, it was a hard pill to swallow, but we just went and did it. Yep. Got the lawyers, got the accountants, got the paperwork signed off. We have so many legal documents with both of our names on so them. So many. So many. <laughs> and now that you've done it, do you feel better? Yes. It feels a lot better to be on the other side of the hill, to have, you know, going forward with future books and whatnot, yeah. to be able to be like, okay, well, I kind of know what to do at this part. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, it was right to the wire. Like, you know, just for the sake of getting the book out there, dealing with uh, internet distribution, oh dealing God. with copyrights, like we were dealing with that stuff probably two to maybe even one week before the book actually debuted. Wow. And it was always just like, here's a new thing you have to worry about. Here's another thing. Yeah, nothing was easy. No point was yeah. like, do this thing and then it will be, then then this problem will be resolved. Yeah. Everything was do this thing. Well, that's great. Okay, but we need now these five more things of paperwork. Yeah. Oh, okay, but we got, like, this got lost in translation. So now we need this from you. And no matter who we spoke to or what route we took to resolve any given situation, it was always the same. It was what should have been two steps was a thousand and steps and we had no guidance we just had to learn by doing and it was yeah. incredibly intimidating. well we, we actually did get lucky we eventually found guidance from some key people who frankly have help, yes. pulled our butts out of the fire multiple times yes if if they hadn't been there we would still be yeah, floundering who are these people um so there's keith morris yes. uh who is uh, i believe he's the editor at i'm not sure he's he's at chapter house. he works sure at chapter house is. i'm not sure what his role is um uh, but keith he's is an awesome guy an awesome dude very well connected in the toronto comic scene he you know basically has a consulting business that he does because his experience is so vast and and interesting and he was a lifesaver he was the guy that uh, you know because comics it's not as widespread of an industry that it's easy to just go on Google or just put a question out there Google in the tells world. You nothing. Yeah, it's not the kind of industry comments. where you can be like, how do I deal with this? There's not a lot of people who either A, are willing to share that information or are immediately accessible. So Keith was that guy for us. He was the guy who had been there, had done that. And when we had a question for him, he always had an answer. Yeah. Uh, so that was huge. Yeah. Huge. While you are making your thing, how did you come up with, like, the finances to, like, pay your artists and do, you know? So we took the arguably crazy route because I had actually be, been unemployed for a few months at the time when we started this. Yep. So Andrea was, was you know, keeping us afloat, more or oh, less. Yep. So what we did, but I had put some money away and we essentially had this reserve fund. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier that we were looking for a project because we knew we had these funds here. We were like, what can we put this towards? Originally, the idea was a film. We could have made like a nice little short film for what we have put into this comic. But then the comic idea happened. We we sought uh, donations, basically, from our friends and family. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than go like the traditional crowdfunding route or something, we went old school. We went to mm -hmm. uh, to some of our family members, we're to some of our friends. Very, very lucky that people believe in us. And, and believed enough to, to put some money behind us. And we owe a lot of people a lot of favors. We do. Uh, or in some case, just money. Um, money, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was... Long-term loans. It was a combination big, of all well, that. One, one big one. One sizable one. Yes. That's awesome. One that's that's one, really yeah. cool. I'm, I'm glad that you have so much support. Yeah, I think Keith Morris, Kalman brought him up to me mm. uh, to that's have on the point. podcast eventually. I think he is... The editor, like yeah. the main editor at Chapter House, I think he he's is, definitely yeah. in charge of the universe and and making sure that everything is you know copacetic with that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You you might see him on Speech Bubble at some point. Oh, he's you a great dude. You'll love on, talking yeah. to him for sure. For great sure. dude. He's super fun to chat with. Awesome. So let's talk about your artist. Sure. Uh, what what's the deal? How did you find her? What uh, was it like working with her? What's what style does she sort of bring to the book? So our artist, uh, Samantha Beck, Toronto native as well, which uh, we consider ourselves pretty lucky to have yeah. all the talent in uh, in the city. Yeah. Um, we found her. Basically, our artist search consisted of cold calls, more or less. Yeah. We spent numerous times at a Starbucks somewhere, both on our laptops, flipping through DeviantArt uh, or whatever tumblers we could find. Being like, what do you think about this person's art? Yeah, it's good. I don't know if it suits the book. What do you think about this person's art? Back and forth for hours, hours. Weeks. We were turned down so many times, so many yeah. times. Sam came along, I would say, 
we met her, we found her work in May, I think it was. Yeah, May know. or April. It was near TCAF, I remember. Yeah, that's true. So we had been at the artist search for a few months. We stumbled onto her work. You know, it had this really unique uh, combination of sort of an exaggerated cartoonish look, but also sort of brought down with like realism. And yeah, it was well balanced. It was very well balanced. Um, and that's what we feel the story is, you know, especially, you know, in terms of a character who's very optimistic in a world that's very unforgiving. It says a lot like those those two sort of styles really work together. So we reached out to Sam. Sam had already done a couple of her own independent comics just as writer and, and artist. So she already had a bit of experience in comics, which is great. Yeah. Uh, a bit of experience in publishing, which is even better. Yeah. We reached out to her. She was very excited. I remember her turnaround time uh, was unbelievable. Yeah, she did. Um, she did a a test page. Test page for us. Yeah. Really early on of a pivotal scene in the first book. Yeah. And I remember we had had a few test pages come back from different people and a couple of different concepts for the characters. And we got this test page. And I remember looking at it and going, Mike, she gets it. Yeah. Like she understands exactly what we're trying to do. It was yeah. the hallelujah epiphany moment. That, that was a big thing for us is that when we were looking for an artist, one of the things we were looking for was basically someone who really got it. Um, Andrew and I, we were very concrete about how we wanted this book to look, how the characters were going to look. We had a very vivid idea. We still sometimes might give too much instruction on certain panels. Well, we Maybe try not to. shifty eyes. We try not to, but sometimes... Sometimes we're a bit controlling in well, that way. We so even though we we had all that, we tried when we were recruiting artists to really you know take the gloves off, let them interpret the characters, give them as little information as possible because we really want their style to come through. I mean, they're the ones designing the characters ultimately. And in Sam's case, with what little detail we gave her, yeah. she just understood the yeah, universe. But- like from that page, we were like, "You get the characters, you get the aesthetic, you get the color scheme that we're looking for." Like we didn't tell you any of this you just got it and so andrew and i right away that floored us yeah we sat down to meet with her shortly after that i think we met in person yep and as we were chatting with her and she was sort of talking about how she envisions because we sent her the script i remember the full script after that and she talked about how she envisioned it and certain ideas she had and she agreed to do some concepts for us as the next stage but as she was talking about it we walked away from that meeting thinking you know, she she like it wasn't a fluke. She really truly understands. Yeah. It was really incredible to have someone who was on the exact same wavelength. Yeah. Um, in yeah. terms of the aesthetic of the book. That's awesome. Yeah. And for her, was working with two people different? How did you figure out who was gonna give instructions? I'm sure we made her life miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I hope not. I hope not. She still likes working with us. So We're, I'm sorry, assume now. We're sorry, Sam. We're sorry. Um we uh, we sort of played it by ear. Um, we set up uh, just like a group chat for the three of us um, mm-hmm. that we could always just sort of monitor and pitch into. So, I mean, you know, not that I want to speak for Sam, of course, but I think it worked for her in the sense that, you know, Andrew and I, through that sort of connection, we didn't overlap, you know, because we yeah, were all in the I same conversation. Yeah, can see what he's saying. He can see what I'm um, saying. And plus, she and I would, you know, with us, you know, being together, it was easy for us to have dialogue between us so that when we did reach out to Sam, we were very specific. You know, there wasn't a lot of indecision. There wasn't a lot of feeling things out. It was, we had already talked about it. Here's what we're thinking. What do you think? I think there's a lot of room for it to have gone a different way. I mean, certainly with three people working instead of two, you could have two people disagreeing. One person says this, the other person contradicts. Yeah. There's so much room for it to just go belly up. But we and and it's been a very natural, organic working relationship. It's very casual, which has been really nice for us. I hope for Sam as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. So now that it's out, yes. and, and it's been out since October, I believe. Uh, just the beginning of November. Just actually. beginning of November. November. Okay, online. beginning of November. Yeah. So so now that it's out, what's the next step for you? I mean, you're at the stage where you have to promote it. Yep. You have to make money off of it. And it has to be successful, hopefully. Hopefully. Has um, to be. Yeah. So so what how are you feeling about that? And how is it going so far? I mean, we I feel like we prepped for that. Um we had already started a very sort of loose marketing campaign a few months before the book launched. Okay. Um just a couple of social media accounts, trying to get the word out there, share some art, that sort of thing. So we sort of we laid the groundwork because we knew that this stage was gonna be important. We believed 
in the book a lot. We believed in the uniqueness of the story and we believed in the aesthetic mm -hmm. from day one. And I think that, I mean, our passion for the project kind of kind of shows through the social media and certainly through my social media. We're lucky we have, again, amazing friends and family who have been sort of a, a background support. But we have people from all over now who are sort of jumping on board and, and helping support us, which is really incredible. I would say we're also lucky in that the Toronto comics community in general has been like super yeah. kind and super welcoming to us. Um, you know, because part of the work that we're doing right now is getting our book into stores. You know, we were lucky enough to get our book into Paradise only maybe two days after we Paradise received the shipment. Comics. Yeah, we, we got the book up there. Uh, because they're super great up there, because Andrea has a great relationship with them. We were just very close to getting our book into the sidekick because Chris and Lauren are unbelievable uh, hosts. They're just great people. And we'll be doing a launch party there really soon. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have uh, an owner who curates all the stuff that she has. Yes. yes. It yeah. helps that you yeah. could... You know, she knows what's good and she can uh, She's get you in there for sure. She's been an amazing help for us as well. We, yeah. I've done so much of my work for this book, just sitting at a table near her. And every time I've got my head in my hands, she's like, whoa, you know. There's uh, also has been an amazing support. There's also been numerous times since we worked on the book where we'd have some early artwork and we'd be like, hey, Chris, and just yeah. hold up a computer. And she'd be like, ah, that looks amazing. Mm. We got some ease. We got, we got, we got a lot of squeals, a lot of ease. Yeah, um, she's so really cool people. Just a lot of great support as we were doing this and now that mm -hmm. it's out. So, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're working that front. Um, we're, our strategy is essentially we're going to just keep trying to make noise, uh, keep trying to put our faces out there, put the book out there, make people look at it. You know, hopefully they like it. Plus um, we're working on book two. Plus we have book two on the way. So That's awesome. That. So how is working with Comixology and like getting it? on comicsology is that a is that a is digital a thing like are people responding comicsology it's it's been an interesting experience so far okay um the response i feel has been really good and you know to comicsology's credit they gave us a lot of advertising space yeah we got a lot of coverage yes uh we didn't yeah. know we were going to get the coverage but we were like in the middle of their email we got a a banner on our release day like a lot of visibility which we didn't expect which was really cool yeah stuff we didn't ask for um you know we saw that we were one of the top selling indie books the first week that we came out which uh feels really great cool, yeah. feels unbelievable you know i feel great about digital uh not just for convenience reasons but because it's it's an easy way for us to get our book all over the world uh you know we <laughs> we looked at getting into diamond we know what that headache would have been as independent something publishers to closer to book four i'm still too intimidated to try that diamond there are certain like minimums you yes. have to hit in yes. order to get to diamond right yeah it's yeah it's a large quantity of books we would need it's don't think we're there yet yeah and but you know we want as many eyes on this as possible and, and, you know um the, the benefit of digital being two people you know running all of this we do have people working with us but being the the center point of this project uh, it's really hard to get the book in as many hands as possible unless you go digital and Comixology is a, a giant. Yep. You know, it's the major distributor of digital. Yep. That's so. awesome. So are you thinking about going to conventions? Are you going to do the tables and the and that's, the circuit? That's the plan. That's the plan. Uh, we, we have our application in for TCAF uh, for 2017. Uh, we should be hearing back very soon because we feel that TCAF would be a absolutely perfect venue for we us both love yeah TCAF's i mean show. we both love tcaf yeah. in general it's it's a haven for indie comics um i think it's our people essentially everybody there's super cool you know i want to be one of the cool people the well that's the plan <laughs> um as far as we're, we're gonna try to keep it light as far as conventions in 2017 uh because we're really gonna have our heads down trying to push out more books um and plus we don't you know we don't want to put ourselves out there before we really have like a lot to yeah, show it's hard people to sit at a table with one book yeah but we're we have a plan for four books we're full steam ahead to go for four yeah uh we've got the budget for four so we're gonna try and make that happen and when i think when we're sort of getting closer to four or at four if we can even get a graphic of those four out so yeah. much the better then we'll definitely you'll see us making the the big convention rounds that's when we'll really make the effort right now 
if and where a show suits us, we will definitely be there. Yeah, we'll but be looking. We'll be especially looking for the indie focused. Yeah, yeah. and at this con. point, you probably have to be more strategic about the types of shows that exactly. you apply to do. Absolutely, exactly. Because you can apply for a show and pay for a table, and there's nothing doing, right? Yeah, yeah so, exactly. That's a big. Yeah, yeah, for exactly. sure. Exactly. So let's talk about the future of the book. You yep. mentioned some strong male characters coming down the pipe. Yep. Uh, give us a little bit of a teaser as to what we can expect uh, for this journey. Well, so, I mean, you know, earlier on, Andrea talked about how she sort of weaned my ambitions down into a very focused uh, few issues. You gonna talk about the super big picture? Well, I mean, why not? All right, he's gonna he's gonna give you the real inside dirt here. All right. So essentially, you know, you know, as as we said, we're planned for four books. We are a hundred percent. We're budgeted. We're we're scheduled. The scripts are written. We're ready to go. But for both of us, the intention for this story is to take it as far as we can. You know, we'd love to get a publisher's attention. We'd love to get distribution because I uh, have just a buffet of ideas of where to take this story. Um, We're not sure we can afford to do all those ideas on our own. Well, but that's the hope. Um, so hopefully. We, you know, Bethany and LSR, you know, they're going to be the core of the story for a very long time because, you know, we genuinely love those characters. They, we think that there's so much potential in where they can go. Funny enough, each of us has one of those characters that we, we love a little more. Each of us has a bias towards either Bethany or LSR. Right. That's true. And we tend to favor them, especially uh, when we're working well, yes, but, uh, you know, there's, I love those characters. That being said, you know, I have ideas for so many other characters, uh, that we could introduce at some point that I think would really hit it off and be very interesting and very we popular. We've got some really interesting plot points that maybe don't fit into the story arc, Yeah, but that we really want to see. Um, and of course point, yeah. the, the, the big resolution, the, whether or not Bethany can manage to be a hero, that's not going to happen in four books. It's right. true. It's Come true. On. Um, you know, we've, I, I've sort of set this book up to start almost a little traditionally, you know, uh, you know, very simple setup of, of small naive girl wants to be a hero sort of thing. But that's that's actually quite deliberate because the places that I could see taking this story, I won't say that it's all dark per se, but I think there's a lot of ideas in there that people aren't going to be expecting. Both of us veer our sensibilities. This is actually, this book is almost a disney version of our creative sensibilities Yes, right now. It, it's definitely, I think, going to get darker. Uh, I've been pushing for that. And Mike, to his credit, has really held his own in keeping Bethany sort of as bright-eyed as she is. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's usually what happens in these quest narratives. Like exactly. Things, things start to get a little darker. And uh, as long as it sort of reflects the, I guess, the insecurities and motivations of the of the characters and what you want to do, then that, that's yeah. that's good, right? Yeah. Well, that's what this, this story is, is that it is, as much as it is a fantasy adventure, you know, I'm a big fan of character-driven stories. That's my bread and butter. And there, that's where the focus is always going to be. And I think one of the earliest conversations we had, probably on like our second or third date, we weighed the merits of genre uh, fiction, especially like sci-fi and fantasy, and we're both very much in agreement that in order for it to be a, a good story and well executed, it has to be a human story. Yep. Uh, you can't just have this big fantastical narrative that has no consequences for the characters. And it has to, you have to be able to relate to it somehow. So that's really what we're hoping to achieve. Right. And will this book, if you get to go beyond the four issues, mm -hmm. have you set it up so that it would maybe withstand relationship changes for you guys, like, will the book oh. go on even if the relationship doesn't go on? You know, that's that's interesting. And, and we actually have had those conversations. We have had those conversations, um, considering everything's signed 50-50 right now. It's a big conversation we're, we had. We're both, I mean, you know, we're very emotional people, but we are, at, at the end of the day, practical people. Both Andrea and myself, creativity is is something that's very important to both of us. You know, it's something that I feel like we've realized that we have a connection in a creative sense beyond the romance, beyond the emotion. Yeah. You know, we have that connection. It's there, you know, so come what may, you know, because I mean, you never know. Right. Yeah. I feel confident. I think that we're both people who are not only invested enough in this book because we both love it so much, Absolutely. but we're invested in having this project, having this something creative that... You know, we have absolute freedom in right now, and that's something we worked very hard to get. I can't imagine we would give it up 
easily. We're both also sort of the people when we've talked about our, our romantic paths that we sort of have this view of why shouldn't there be peace between you and an ex? Like, mm. I, I don't see a realistic outcome where if everything were to go badly romantically, which... I mean, I hope not. Right. Unless you got not. something to tell me. Um, not but our on relationship. This show. Uh, there you go. It's going to save it for later. Breaking <laughs> up with me tonight. Um, no, our relationship's really, really solid romantically as well as creatively. And and if we were to part ways, I don't see it being anything but but amicable. I don't foresee burning your clothes on the front lawn. No. 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 I have really nice clothes, so I'd rather I like you your. Yeah, I'm, I don't. It's, I'd probably be in a lot of trouble. That's awesome. Well, thanks for weathering that storm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really appreciate having you guys in. I want to have you promote this book as much as possible. So, where can people find you and where can they find the book? Uh, well, so right now the book is at Paradise Comics in Toronto. Um, Look it's... for it also soon at the Sidekick in Toronto. We're going to be in Page and Panel, I think. Yes. Um, we definitely are going to try and get into Silver Snail. Yep. Uh, we have a couple of other stores. We've got a few other stores that, that, that we're, we're going to be chatting so with. So look for it very soon. We're working on it. Whoa. All information will be. So the best way to get in touch with us is our social media. We're on Twitter at Songs Comic. We're on Instagram at Songs Comic. Uh, we on have Facebook. a Songs for the Dead Facebook page, which is really active. And then our website is songsforthedead.com. So if you go there, there's updates. We we basically update uh, everybody on everything that's going on. You can tweet at me at Labyrinth on VHS as well if you want more information. <laughs> that's awesome. And I've read the book. I really like it. Thank the you. thing, Thank you. The thing that attracted me to it and the thing that got you in the door, though was the cover. So yes. tell us a little bit about the cover before we go. So during our massive artist search throughout we're, last we're year. so lucky. Before we start the story, we are so lucky. During our massive artist search last year, um, one of the people that I reached out to is Nick Robles. Uh, so for anyone who's not familiar with Nick Robles, um, he has a comic, what's the name of it? Clockwork Angels. Clockwork Angels. It's the um, comic. It's, yeah, the Rush comic. Um, he also has done several variant covers uh, for Boom, for uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, for the Big Trouble in Little China run that's right now. Unbelievably talented guy. We reached out to him a few months ago, well before we met Sam. We asked him to work on the book. He tried. He he, he even went and talked to his agent for us. Uh, he was like, I love this idea. I love this book, but I don't know if I can do it schedule-wise. Let me find out for you. He came back to us. He's like, I'm so sorry, guys. I really wanted to, but my plate's so full. We were like, totally fine, totally cool. Um, and that was that. So we knew from early on that we were going to get a cover artist, you know, not because we don't love Sam's work. Yeah, we love Sam's work. Sam did an amazing uh, poster for us, which would have been an amazing cover as well. We just wanted something different. Ultimately, we, you know? yeah, we knew how important a cover can be. So in our search for a cover artist, because we started carte blanche with that. Oh, yeah. I went back to my list of artists I had contacted, one of them being Nick Robles. I remembered his enthusiasm for our book, and I was like, yeah, why not? Let me reach out to him. Mike's exact words to me one day were, so this one guy that I had emailed, remember that guy who said he really loved the idea, but was super busy? Why don't I just email him again and see if he has time for a cover? And I remember saying to Mike, we can't be upset if he can't do it. Like, we're going to be heartbroken, but it's okay. Let's just try. Yeah. And he came back to us. He's so nice. He was over the moon. He was like, yes, I'm so glad you guys thought of me. I still, I can't stop thinking about your book. I love it. Let's work together. So we did. We we got in touch with him. We sent him the concepts, sent him uh, the script. We sent him some of our ideas for a cover. We sent, which were terrible, we, sent him, we sent him some ideas for our cover. To be honest, Andrew and I were a bit drawing a blank for that. Uh, and we were like, you know, Nick, if you have ideas, please come to us. Give us, you're the artist. He comes back to us with a thumbnail of what is the current cover. He, he prefaced it by saying, you know, because he gave us other thumbnails too. Mm. But he prefaced it by saying, this one's my favorite, just so you guys know. We were floored. I think I was so happy I cried. Just, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Just I, from the thumbnail. I was super emotional over that thumbnail. We were floored. Uh, and, you know, maybe a month later, he gives us the rough version. And, oh, my God, we were yeah. blown away. We knew we had magic right there. Not only did we walk away with this unbelievable cover, 
Uh, Nick is, I, I'm going to go on the record and say that Nick is the nicest man in comics. He might be the nicest man ever. I, just, I don't know, but we need to cl- uh, clarify that he's in comics. Like, he's just so nice. He's the sweetest dude. He's so easy We've to work never with. never met him. Never met, yeah. He's we're going to go down to the States and meet him. We're just going to go down there one day and be like, hey, we're here. Shake his hand. You're really nice. Um, we wanted to meet you. We're going to leave now. So, and we're happy to announce that he is doing the cover for book two as yes. well. That's awesome. Yes. So, we are just in the process now. Frankly, we are dying to to see yeah, what he comes up with. sometime this week, I think. I, I, I can't wait I don't know. to That's see what he awesome. does. Yeah. All right, guys. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you. Uh, you have your ducks in a row like no other indie creators I, I've talked to, really. <laughs> oh, wow. And you, and you gave us like a very inside look on what it really takes to put a comic together, especially for people that are, that are new to this. So thank you, and uh, I really hope people come and buy your book. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. And you're, you're so welcome. So you can find this podcast on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Uh, you can follow us on pa- Facebook at SpeechBubblePod. Uh, we're on Instagram now at SpeechBubblePod and Twitter at SpeechBubblePod as well. So I'll see you next time on SpeechBubble. Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. The Harry Tarantula sells games and comics to bright and imaginative people like you. Thus, we value your mind. Without it, you'd be stupid and we'd be out of business. So stop drinking diet sodas contaminated with aspartame and stop microwaving your brain with a cellular phone. And if that's too much to ask, then for God's sake, spare our kids from electrochemical lobotomization. Thanks for playing. Please come again. Harry Tarantula. Look us up if you know how. This freedom of speech moment paid for by the Harry Tarantula. 354 Young. Upstairs. Online at H-A-I-R-Y-T dot com. That's Harry T dot com.